My name is Dustin Kelly, but everybody calls me DJ. I'm prior army, serving as both a Ford observer and a military police officer. I spent the last 14 and a half years as a police officer and detective in a large metropolitan police department. Two things that I've learned throughout my career. One, everybody has a story to tell. And two, the best stories are true. This is the DTD Podcast. So here we go in three, two, one, and we're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD Podcast. You know this month is Christmas coming early. This weekend, we have Chris Van Zant in the studio. He's here to talk about his life, his loves, and any questions that you might have for him. So we're going to get right into it. Chris, how are you, man? I'm good, DJ. Doing great, man. How are you? I am fantastic. So let's talk about while we're getting everyone still in here and, and stuff like that, let's talk about uh, what you've been doing as of work, as of vacation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, let's see. Recently, um, yeah, I own and operate my own consulting firm. Um, been doing some great work with a lot of fantastic companies out there. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very rewarding um, occupation, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, you know, helping people, whether it's develop better products, whether it's expand their business, um, or, or help them develop future business opportunities. It's uh, it's very rewarding to see some of these young and up and coming companies um, generate some success. So I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I just got back from a backpacking trip. My wife and I, um, we'd never done the national parks in Texas. So we, we did a kind of a round robin and hit uh, Guadalupe Mountains National Park there way in Western Texas. Um, bounced up in New Mexico, did Carlsbad Caverns because we'd never been there. And then and then drove down and spent a few days in Big Ben. Um, great time of year to be in, in West Texas. Really enjoyed it. Uh, beautiful country out there. So, yeah, we're doing well. Well, I want to talk about your consulting because the reason I want to talk about it is because it's kind of a step away from what you did for so many years in the military. It's in that same world, but it's different. It's helping businesses grow. And the big thing that I want to point out about it is, is I don't think when you were doing what you did for so long that you even thought about this kind of stuff, that you even thought about, hey, someday I'm going to be helping businesses, Fortune 500s grow. So can we talk about kind of how you came up with that idea, what you were doing when you came up with that idea, and then what you're doing now with it? Yeah, I mean... A lot of it was, it was cumulative, um, the path, I suppose. No, I definitely had no idea that I would be doing something like this at any point in my career, nor would anyone um, respect my opinion enough, honestly, to, to bring me on to help them out. Uh, so yeah, the military career was what it was, um, but kind of the kicker was the tail end of my career. Um, I was I was fortunate although I was kind of did it kicking and screaming in the beginning to do, to do equipment development and, and acquisition um, of equipment for special forces command. And I did that job for about five years. Um, and it's unique in that you get to interact with basically all the companies that support the defense industry. So um, I was lucky enough to kind of experience a cross section of that, everything from, you know, clothing and, and body armor and individual equipment through vehicles and radios and guns and night vision. Um, and so that's kind of where 
you know, I was always a kit guy. I was always a guy that built his own kit, modifying his own kit. Um, and so that was a natural segue into career number two, um, working with tier tactical, you know, designing body armor and, and tactical nylon and, and equipment that guys wear, um, really enjoyed that. Uh, and then, as you know, I, I had some, some health issues, um, about a year ago, uh, some hereditary heart stuff and, and, um, you know, I kind of took that as a sign that, you know what, I've, I've had plenty of change in my life. I've, I've changed direction multiple times in my life and done different things. And I need to say to myself what I say to other people, which is the things that made you great at the job you did before are the same attributes that are going to make you good at whatever you choose to do next and, and kind of chase that fear away and, and go do it. Um, so the consulting thing kind of came about with some folks asking me some questions if I would be interested in helping out once they heard that I was away. Um, and then my wife and I talking, um, and it was just that combination of things. There's, there's a lot of guys with great service that have done some fantastic things. Um, there's a lot of guys with great service that have got out and worked in the defense space and, and had great, great second careers working for, for multiple different companies and making them successful. Um, but there's not a lot of guys that had that end user background, also understood how the government procures um, and develops equipment and funds it, and then and then also spent time and 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 was fortunate enough, like I was, to have the mentorship um, under a under a, a privately held business where somebody knew and understood how to build a company and how to make a company grow, how to manufacture, um, and I learned a ton of lessons in that process that I think really just rounded me out where I'm, I'm, I'm an abstract voice. I'm a unique perspective. Um, and I think it's good for companies with consultants, especially, you know, I, I don't work for them. Um, I'm, I'm an independent, so, uh, they know what they're getting is reality. They get an honest, true assessment. They get honest opinions from me. That's what I try to do. Um, and, and they can take it or leave it. Uh, I caveat most things with, Hey, this is, this is just one person's opinion. Um, and these are the reasons that I'm giving you that opinion. And I kind of let them make those decisions for themselves. But so that's kind of how I landed there. Um, it's gone really well. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. Like it's, it's very diverse. It keeps my mind active, which is really nice. Um, and it gives me the flexibility to kind of manage my own schedule and, and keep that workload at a, you know, at a comfortable level where I can still get away and spend time in the back country and, and do stuff with my wife and, and family or, or whatever it is that we want to do. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about that. I kind of want to know, though, because you and I have talked about it before, but we haven't gone really in depth. What do you think it is about that last career of yours that you really bring over to this career? Not necessarily just the know-how like you were talking about, about the purchasing and things like that, but what kind of traits do you think that you brought over um, for this. And I want to talk about not only the good traits that you brought over, but maybe even some of the bad traits and then maybe bad traits that you left behind. So let's start with the good that you brought over. Yeah, I think, well, the combination of being a, a, a veteran and a career soldier, um, particularly an army guy. And I've said this before is we're, we're really good contingency planners. We're good at looking at whether it's an operation or whether it's a, a business objective, we're good at looking at the big picture and going, okay, this is how we want it to go, but what are we going to do if A, B, or C happens? Um, and I think that carried into my second career. Um, and then being a chief operating officer and working for a privately held company for an entrepreneur, um, you know, that's not me. I, I'm, I'm not the guy that has the 30-year vision and says, you know, I'm going to do A, B, and C. Now let's figure out how to do all that. 
I'm kind of the guy that, that, you know, is steering a little bit and kind of helping out, keeping it going too far from going too far one direction or the other. Um, and then I think working at tier, you know, we were, we experienced a ton of growth. We were a, a developing, growing company. Um, and the, and the, the owner was, was very driven, um, and had a very clear entrepreneurial vision of where he wanted to take it. Uh, and I think there were a ton of lessons along the way about how to effectively do that and how to manage that, 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 you know, I was fortunate enough to pick up and, and I'm able to pass some of those lessons learned along in, in what I do today. So talking about the good, what do you think is a bad thing that you may have brought over with you that, that you just can't seem to shake? Uh, you know, I think at this point in my life, if, if anything, I'm probably overly empathetic. Um, I think okay. sometimes as a, as a business owner or as a CEO, sometimes I think you got to make the hard decision and tear the bandaid off sometimes. Um, and I think at this point in my life, it's, I personally feel like I've been very fortunate that a lot of people have stepped up and given me opportunities and looked after me and I've been steered in the right direction when I've gone awry, um, throughout my life. Um, and so I probably try to do that a bit to a fault these days. Uh, and it's not always the right thing to do. You know, sometimes you, you give somebody a, a second opportunity and, and if they mess up again, it's just time to tear the bandaid off. Um, so I'm probably, I'm probably a little on the, on the, let's just keep everybody happy side these days and, <laughs> and, uh, and less of a jerk that I was probably 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, and I, I think it's important to show that in the growth because you and I and a lot of guests that have come on the show have talked about uh, growth and, and how you change from when you join to the end. And I mean, if we go way back into your career and when you were with the Rangers and all that kind of stuff, you would say you're a completely different man now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and even from when you were uh, with the unit and stuff like that, you're a different man from that. And yep. so what I think a lot of people don't understand and when they step away from those careers, we talk about it over and over that they kind of forget who they are at, mm -hmm. at a core or a cellular level. And I think it's super dangerous and people don't think about it because they think, oh, I'm not that anymore. I'm not anything anymore. And I look at these guys that, that retire and stuff and they, they don't have hobbies. They don't have anything that they want to go do. They don't have anything that they want to go see. And it's a really dangerous thing. And I want your opinion on why you think that that happens to people. I, I, I get that there's a lot of tunnel vision during their career, but why doesn't that spectrum kind of open up at the end? Uh, I think a lot of your time in the military, um, particularly for guys in, in the special operations community and that and the work to get into some of the elite units, I think you're competing for so long. You're competing for that next position. You're competing for that next organization, you're trying to be the absolute best in everything that you can do. Um, and so over the years, you develop a mindset of, you know, failure is not an option, I, I have to succeed, and I have to succeed at the highest level, uh, which works and is necessary to produce, you know, the types of people that are that are capable of doing that work at the highest level. Um, over time, and then you you add in the the salt and pepper and seasoning of, of combat rotation of loss of trauma of all the things that go into that. Um, and you do, you lose a little bit of self. So when that ends, um, there's a giant vacuum created one, because you're not competing for anything. You don't have teammates anymore um, that can pick you up when you're down or push you when you need a little push or provide that little extra bit of motivation. 
Um, I think you you lack routine immediately when you leave the service, um, which is something that a lot of guys forget about. You know, you've had a scheduled program right. to almost right. everything you've done your whole career. And now all of a sudden you're sitting on your couch or, or whatever. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do because I don't have anything to do. Um, and, and that's a very, that's a very scary time where you have to, to remind yourself, um, down at the base level, what are the things that are important? Um, that's routine. That's having activities and passions other than what you do professionally. Um, that's going back to your core and remembering how you got where you got in the first place. Um, and that's, that's who you are, man. That's your, that's your internal, your intestinal fortitude, your motivation, your intelligence, your values, your ethics, you know, that stuff is, is who really makes you up. Absolutely. Uh, and once, once you focus back on the basics, um, you start realizing, okay, I can, I can do this again. And then as that moves along, you realize, wow, uh, yeah, I've been hitting the head a lot, but I did pick a few things up along the way and, <laughs> and maybe just maybe I have some things to offer and then success breeds success, right? So once you, once you get out of that mental mindset hole and you start moving in a positive direction again, um, then you, then you, your mind starts freeing up and you start, you start forward looking again and it's okay. What's the next chapter look like and what do I need to do to get there? I want to say real quick, uh, hi to Dutton Z. He's leaving some comments in there. Gil Gripper is leaving some comments. Uh, guys, don't forget any kind of questions that you have for Chris. He will be glad to answer them for you. I want to bring up one real quick before we get into it, because I want to stay on what you bring back from the military after your career. We talked about you going into kind of a different headspace. Some guys go into movies. Some guys go into, you know, there's a lot of different kinds. My question to you would be those guys that never leave kind of that contracting world, never leave that world where they're constantly in harm's way. Do you think that they can ever shake those demons? Uh, or do you think that they will evolutionarily grow and get past them because it's happened for so long? I don't think it just happens. I think it takes, it takes some internal reflection. It takes some growth. Um, I think it takes, I, I think you have to physically and mentally focus on that change. Uh, I think when guys hold on, I guess a good analogy would be like a professional athlete and we'll take Tom Brady out of the equation because he's kind of a weird anomaly, but at, at the <laughs> end of the day, kind of weird. <laughs> at the end of the day, um, when you work in a physical profession, um, you know, your body wears down, like we age, it's just a, a fact of life. Um, and, and no matter how good a care you take of yourself, there's things outside of your span of control that, that sort of beat you down over the years and it's cumulative, um, and it adds up. And so eventually you're going to hit a wall where you're not going to be able to do things the way you used to do them. And in some cases you can be a hazard to yourself or others because you're slowing down and you don't realize it or don't want to admit it. Um, but, but more so on the mental side, um, I think, you know, when you've been successful, um, particularly in a career like that, and you continue to try to do it as those things start fading, it's just a downward spiral of beating yourself up. Um, and I think it opens you up to a lot of negatives that I've personally experienced, you know, whether that's, you know, getting in the bottle, whether that's um, chasing adrenaline someplace else to, to replace the holes that are, that are there now, because you're not, not living that adrenal cycle that you were used to for so long. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it, 
it takes a conscious effort and self-reflection to look at yourself and go, Hey, you know what, man, I'm capable of, of a lot more. Um, I just need to have some faith in myself, step back, uh, reach out to some friends, whatever that is, um, and kind of take it one step at a time and, and you'll get there. So why is it that you think guys don't reach out though? And, and ask for that help. Why is it so, cause you and I have had guys where we co-hosted together where they just talk about that and, and they say, I don't reach out enough. The only time we see each other was at funerals or the only time we saw each other and they never reach out. Why do you think that is you, you live by that team mentality for so long. You would think that it would hold for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think it's an extension of compartmentalism personally. I think, uh, and particularly with guys and gals that have experienced trauma, I think to continue to be effective and do what you do, you kind of have to stick that in a box in the back of your brain. So you, you lock it up and you, and you throw the key away and you don't pay attention to it. Um, and I think you do that long enough, it just becomes habit. You've trained yourself to compartmentalize, to internalize and to not share that stuff with other people. Um, and in, in most cases, you know, it might start with your family because they're the people around you that are the most concerned and ask you, but then eventually it'll spread to your teammates and your friends. Um, and we just tend to self-isolate. I'm sure there's a million and one psychological reasons behind it. Uh, me personally, um, like getting close to people, you know, losing guys, losing some really good friends over the years. Uh, I think it got harder for me to get comfortable with people. Um, so all my relationships were very superficial. You know, it's, it's like you said, you know, you hear people say like, yeah, I know a ton of people and I'm still this way today. I know yeah. a ton of people, but I don't have a ton of friends. Like I, I have a, a handful of folks that I keep in touch with on the regular. And that's something that I myself have to work on and focus on um, and try to make more of an effort to reach out and communicate with with folks that I know and friends. And and uh, yeah, it's a work in progress, even for me. Um, but it's very common. Like I, I think it's like you said, so many people do it. Um, it's very, very common. I, I want to ask, do you think part of the reason, and, and I'm asking you from your opinion, do you think maybe you don't do it because you worry about, um, not dismissal, but maybe where they won't reach back in the same effort that you want them to give or that you've, that you're trying to give to them? Uh, yeah, I, I think that certainly plays into it. I think for a lot of people, I think also though, the, one of the biggest factors is you don't want, um, you never want people to think you're not capable of dealing with whatever's going on. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a, uh, you know, in today's day and age, you probably get in trouble for saying it, but it's a very masculine trait, right. To, to be the, uh, I can deal with this. I can handle this. I, I don't, you know, I'm not an emotional person. I'm this, I'm that. I think there's a lot of um, hurdles in there that that honestly make you feel uh, like less of a man if you um, sort of open up to some of those weaknesses. And the really the really tricky part is if you've if you've had traumatic brain injury or post traumatic stress or, or you've dealt with trauma throughout your life is one of the things that goes kind of later on. And one of those those side effects is is the inability to control some of those emotions. Um, and then you get further internal and it pushes you even further away from people because you're afraid that they're going to see that and you don't know how to explain it because you haven't even figured out how to explain it to yourself like you don't know why that's happening um that's one of the reasons i talk about it so candidly dj is like it, to, it's one of the reasons i work with with one of the charities that i work with all secure is like 
one of the main core messages is is getting rid of that stigma of going hey i'm not okay and and also helping people understand that it's okay to to get some assistance it's okay to reach out and it's definitely okay to talk about it but i think it goes back to that whole thing where you're talking about that masculine world and if you need help or you need that just doesn't mesh with some personalities you know what i mean like they just yeah. They, they got to have control over, or at least believe that they have control over the situation. Would you agree yeah. with that? I do. Um, it, it, I mean, it, and some of it's cultural, right? Like you're, you're in an environment where, uh, you know, you're always fighting for that top position and you, you always want to appear to be the most capable person. And for most of us during our career, um, you know, we're very, uh, what's the word? Um, self-conscious in that absolutely the rest of the world might look at you and go man that guy's that guy's a stud or he's really intelligent or he's really fast or man he can shoot his ass off or whatever it is and you're going man i hope they didn't notice that i you know did this or did that like you there's some insecurity there um and it and it compounds as you go uh and so yeah you have to you have to relearn it and like i have a joke that i say about all the time i'm like especially with with sf dudes i'm like man you 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 had X many combat deployments. You served your country for 20, 30 years. Like you've earned your man card. Like it's cool. Like yeah. you don't, you don't have to be tough to anybody. Like you have, you have done your time. Um, everybody knows that you're, you're a capable, tough individual that's been through a lot and no one's going to think any less of you. If you say, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of struggling with this or that. Say hi to uh, Rhyme Time UK. He he kind of tacks on to what you said. He said admitting that you have a problem can appear as a weakness, and that's what holds a lot of people back. They can't be vulnerable. The thing sure. that I want to talk about with what you said, though, what's interesting is you say you've got this one facade to the world, and I, I don't even know if I would call it a facade. You have this one side of you that has all your shit together. You're the man, and inside you're always questioning yourself. And that is fascinating to me, even in the line of work that I'm in, that you know you know what you're doing, but you're so worried about what other people might think. Can you talk a little bit about that, of of weighing that balance? Because at, at some points in it, that scale becomes unbearable, one side or the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I never felt like, uh, like I always felt like I was trying my absolute hardest to just be like good enough to be there. Um, and so it, it was that constant like struggle of I'm just barely making it. Um, and over the years, you know, you talk to guys and they all feel that way. Even the guys that I looked at and thought, man, that guy is at that guy's at the top. Like he's the guy that everybody wants to be. He was thinking the same stuff. He was like, man, I just, I'm fighting every day just to stay, uh, uh, you know, it, and that, that's a that's a tough environment to live in um and when you don't have people around you anymore like i used to draw confidence also from my teammates from the professionals that were around me like there's a bit of uh motivation a bit of personal courage there's some things that come with going you know what i'm surrounded by really well-trained highly dedicated highly motivated people absolutely um, when you do falter a little bit, you can kind of lean on that and go, Hey man, he's good. Yep. I'm good. And you remind yourself, but when that's gone and you don't have that person on your left and your right anymore, and you're sitting there by yourself, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to go find that sometimes. 
And with it being hard to find sometimes, uh, where do you kind of dig in to find that? Does that make any sense? Like where, where do you go to find that then? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess it depends on what you're dealing with. Um, for me personally, uh, you know, friends and family, people close to me were, or who really saw that I wasn't doing well and pushed me to get some help. Um, and, and once I got over the hump of going to see someone, uh, and in my case, getting a professional diagnosis that, Hey, you know what, actually you do have some things wrong. You have sustained some damage, some injury over the years. And then, and it educated me and explained to me all the different ways that that's affecting me. Um, that for me was a huge milestone. So that just that initial, uh, seeking some professional guidance and help, um, was a huge gateway for recovery, for getting better and for really finding myself again and realizing, Hey, you got yourself through all that stuff before you can get yourself through anything. Uh, you just got some challenges now that you deal with. Um, but you'll get through it. Like you have everything else in your life. How weird did it feel to be vulnerable the first time you talked to someone and kind of just unpacked that box and threw it all on the table and was like, I'm fucked up. It, yeah. We got to fix this. And and of course you're there knowing you've got to fix it. So that's a good thing. But how weird does it feel the first time? Uh, Cause I'm going to tell you, I've been to a therapist and stuff too. I love it. Cause it's someone that you can just talk to that is supposed to not have judgment and stuff. But for you personally, what was it that first time when you just opened up the box and you said, here's all the things that I'm going through. I'm being vulnerable and I'm expecting you to handle this the proper way. Uh, I was, I was at rock, rock bottom pretty much when that happened. Um, I was, uh, and you and I've talked about this and I've said it before, you know, I was, I was at a low point of my life. Um, and mentally I was barely hanging on. Um, and, and as you know, like I almost took my life at one point. Um, so, when I finally made the decision that, nope, I'm going to take back control of this and I'm going to go get some help. Um, there's a bit of desperation there. Uh, and then initially you talk to someone and uh, it wasn't like I just verbal vomited. This is all the shit that I'm dealing with. Um, (laughs) it was like, it was like pulling teeth. It was like, I wanted to be there. I knew I needed to be there, but they had to kind of coax that stuff out of me. Um, and, but, I got lucky in that the person that I went to see one of the early things that he did was get some testing done. Like I actually got some medical diagnoses to, to help me understand what was going on with me and why I was feeling some of the things that I was feeling. And then it's just like an injury, like my brain for whatever reason was able to go, okay, it's like breaking your arm or breaking your leg or, or whatever. You know, you, you, you cast yourself till it heals and then you go to physical therapy and then you get back in the gym or running or walking or swimming or whatever it is you do to rehab yourself, um, to recover and get stronger and get back to who you used to be. Um, and that was kind of the mindset that I had as the years have gone by, it's gotten tremendously easier. The more that you discuss it openly, candidly, um, and you don't have to be public but you know, doing it with your spouse, doing it with your best friend, doing it with a doc or a therapist or a coworker that you trust and respect, um, you, you just got to start somewhere and then it'll get easier with everybody as time goes by. So with all that, uh, a big part of you being in the unit and we're talking about mental health right now, but it's physical health is a big part of it too. 
Sure. And I told you that a guy had written in, said he couldn't be on the show, uh, but he had a question. Um, he said that he's always been curious about what Tier 1 guys' workouts were while serving, uh, what your workout regime was while you were at the unit, the rest of your service, and then today, what do you carry forward in your workout regime now? Um. Yeah, me. Okay. Uh, one. <laughs> one. I was, I was, um, I, I was handed some, some genetic opportunity, uh, from my, from my parents in that, um, we were pretty good at, at cardio based fitness. So I could run, um, from, from a young age. Uh, and that was a blessing that I discovered very early in the army was, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. Um, but my typical workout routine when I was at that level, um, was I would come in in the morning. Uh, I would usually run or do some form of cardio in the morning. Um, and then our schedule was, you know, you'd come in, we would do some training in the morning and then around 10 30 quarter of 11, uh, we would come back. And that was when a lot of guys would work out. And I particularly would go work out then, uh, weight training, kind of your standard stuff. Then, um, in the afternoon, be some more training, uh, whether it was down on the range, whether it was team or troop or, or larger level exercises, um, or do some jujitsu or something like that. Um, but it evolved over the years. So from the time that <clears throat> I was coming up in the service, you know, push up set, it was calisthenics and, and do everything as hard as you possibly can. And as much as you can, um, by the time I left the unit, they had strength coaches and they had, you know, there was much more education about how to properly fuel and work out and recover the body um, that I think, you know, they're a lot more focused on now and it's in an effort to prevent injuries and keep guys doing what they're doing longer. Um, Post-career, so I had, a, I had a number of injuries, you know, I got lower back stuff, total disc replacement in my neck. I've got a lot of musculoskeletal issues. Um, the running isn't quite what it used to be, um, but what I focus on now is routine and variety. So um, I get up, almost every single day, seven days a week. It's as much for my mental health as it is for my physical health. I'm in the gym most days, about 6.15, 6.30. I spend a good hour um, weight training and I sort of break up the routine, various body parts on various days, like most people. Uh, I am constantly evolving what that is. So it's not like I go do flat bench and that's all I do. I, I, I change up the exercise and try to keep my body guessing because I'm not I'm not trying to be a strong man um, and I'm not running around with 80 pounds of kid on my body anymore. I'm just trying to stay healthy, to stay fit and to keep the ability to do the things that I enjoy doing. Um, and then my hobbies, my hobbies keep me very active as well. Um, my wife and I are, are, are climbers and, and hikers and we spent a lot of time in the backcountry in the mountains um, covering long distances. We do a lot of long distance hiking with, you know, self-sustained with big packs on our backs and um, we're just generally very active people. So I kind of maintain those things to this day, um, mix in different things when I can, but at a minimum, I try to do some form of physical activity every day. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, like you said, your activities now, cause you and I had talked about you hiking and it's even different now when you're climbing mountains and stuff. Uh, you say you even approach it differently and injuries coming a little easier. Uh, yeah. the, the footing's not as sure. How does that feel after all those years of, of, of climbing all this stuff? And, and we even talked when we had Chili on about, about climbing and ice climbing and all that kind of stuff. How does it feel to get older? Because I hate it. 
And every yeah. time I look around, I'm like, man, this sucks that I'm older and I can't do this as well. Even with those activities like that, do you do you feel it? And does it kind of give you a little kick in the ass to say, man, I, I, I got to do something or I got to keep doing this or get smarter about it? Yeah, uh, I'm definitely more cautious. Um, I had a, I had a fall in the mountains. Uh, you know, I had I had this, a couple heart procedures, and and so we're we're just sort of getting back into full swing. And right, and it was one of our first trips out in Colorado, and we were kind of catty cornering up this ridge line. It was fairly steep, and and like you said, the footing's not the same as it used to be. I'm not as agile as I once was, and I slipped. And because I'm on blood thinners, I got this massive hematoma on my hip. And, you know, uh, a number of years ago, it had been, I wouldn't even paid attention to it. I'd have been rub some dirt on it and keep moving because that's how I grew up. Um, but it, at my age now and having had some injuries and knowing <laughs> I want to continue to do this stuff for a really long time because I enjoy it and it keeps me mentally strong and healthy. Uh, we jacked it in like that day. It was our first day out in the mountains. We were supposed to be out for four and we, we made a judgment call and said, you know what? We need to walk back out now because if I wake up tomorrow and I've broken this hip or I can't move this leg, right? Like what, what are we going to do? Uh, and, and those are decisions that I think a little older, a little wiser. I think it's a little easier to make those, those good calls now. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not the, um, uh, I do miss the adrenaline of things, but I, I find I can fill that void with other things now. Uh, and so, yeah, I take a little more precautions for sure. Which is a huge step for you. I mean, staying at a holiday inn instead of on the side of a mountain is a big difference for you. Uh, let's move on. Uh, John Smith has a question. He said, did you ever use four tube night vision goggles? If so, how did he like them compared to the standard night vision goggles? Uh, not in combat or training. No, um, I have worn them uh, post running around downrange um, because the panel goggles sort of came online um, at the tail end of my career was when we started first seeing them. So that was probably, you know, end of 13, 14, 15 timeframe. But that was all post me deploying. So no, I always ran around with my time in the unit with, with dual tubes, um, time before that and units before that, I, I think I ran PBS 14s as single monocle. And, and when I was in the 82nd, um, or PBS seven dual tubes, but no, I never, never worked and operated in combat with, with panos. Uh, can you talk about them a little bit? Cause I think a lot of people see them and they're like, Whoa, those are really cool. And I, I think, uh, zero dark 30 made them really popular. Um, can you talk about the differences in them and like, I guess from doing what you did before you got out, can you talk about a little bit of the differences of them? Yeah. I mean, to the layman. So you've got, you've got light amplification, um, which were the original low light scopes and stuff back from way in Vietnam, which basically were just taking in whatever existing light there was and, and amplifying that enough that you could have a visible picture. Um, and then you went into the IR spectrum, um, you still have to have some visible light um, in order to pull IR enough to see. Uh, IR progressed into the white phosphorus, which is just another version of that, but a higher quality and higher definition. Um, and then you have thermals. Um, thermals, obviously, looking at heat signature of particular items, higher temperature, brighter, lower temperature, duller, uh, or you can reverse the polarization. But 
what a pano is, is a pano is an overlapped, it's a fusion goggle. So it has thermal and IR capabilities. Um, and you can use one, the other, or a combination of the both. Um, so in, in essence, it gives you the ability to see in no light, in some light, um, or in any light, um, better than you could with any singular device. I, I think they look a lot cooler. And I, I remember when I was in, and it was a long time ago, there was no depth perception at all with just the regular night vision goggles. So, and, and I was a Ford observer and I had a Lieutenant that would just walk off and leave you. So I didn't have shit on. And so you're just running into a lot of shit. All right. Next question up for you. It says, uh, it's a hunting question cause you're a big hunter. So, uh, this one will be good for you. Do you feel hunting or maybe spearfishing grounds you or perhaps puts you at peace? Some folks prefer being very social and some are more comfortable with some type of solitude. Finding the middle ground is the start of the journey, in my opinion. What's your idea on that? Uh, yeah, um, I understand all aspects. I will tell you the difference. My personal opinion is the difference between uh, a civilian hunter um, and a guy that's spent a career in the military or law enforcement as a hunter, I think you appreciate it for different reasons. Um, me personally, um, I enjoy hunting. I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a huge hunter. I've been on some amazing hunts. Um, but what I really appreciate about it is being out in the solitude, is being able to appreciate and observe the animals in their natural habitat. Um, if you're lucky or you're fortunate enough to harvest an animal, um, to be able to utilize that animal, uh, for food and enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I, I just prefer being out there, um, and kind of being one with my environment for a period of time. Um, so much so that I've been on hunts with guys where I'm not hunting at all. I'm just, I'm just there to be provide support, help spot, whatever. Um, and I enjoy that as much as I do as, as when I get to harvest an animal. When you talk about those hunts, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's a lot of, um, service organizations and stuff that are trying to reach out to veterans that are going through post-traumatic stress and all that kind of stuff. The big dumb thing I think a lot of people say is why would you put them back into a hunting environment? Why would you do this and that? I want you to explain because you know better than most people why you would put them back into that environment to get them to open up and talk because it's always been a very dumb argument with me. I feel whatever can make you feel less stressed, whether that be playing video games, reading, drawing, whatever it is, if that gets you to lower down those levels and talk, that's a good thing. So can you talk about going on those hunts and people talking and kind of opening up and getting kind of feeling like their old self again? Yeah. I, I mean, whether it's a hunt, whether it's a backpacking trip, a climbing trip, whatever it is, um, I think those things are akin to a military operation. There's planning involved. There's equipment involved. Um, there's a there's a concerted effort to go accomplish a task in a particular environment um, and a set of skills that goes along to get you there. Um, so first and foremost, uh, it sort of takes you back a little bit. Um, it, it takes you back to a time when, honestly, you felt comfortable. Um, and particularly with guys nowadays that, that had spent as much time at war as they have at home, um, and, and I've said this before, you get to a point where you're more comfortable at war because it's easier. There's less stuff to worry about. <clears throat> you're worried about you and whatever your objective is. And it's the same thing with hunting. So I think first and foremost, it puts you back in what your mind considers a natural state because that's what you've grown accustomed to. 
Um, so you relax. Um, the second one is when you're relaxed and you're doing that with someone and you're enjoying yourself, it is when you're most open and honest. Um, and I think so in a lot of those circumstances, guys are more apt, like you said, to discuss things. Um, most of those organizations that do that stuff, they tend to um, be coordinated or exercised or there's, there's veterans that are, that are doing well, that have been through some things and have learned some lessons and are comfortable talking um, that participate and go along with those things to kind of help those guys work through some of that stuff and put them in a space where they feel comfortable with people that know what they've been through and have been in their shoes. Um, and, and in the hopes that they will start to open up and, and, and those doors will open and they'll start slowly letting some things out of those boxes and, and working through them. Um, and then, and then there's the completion of the mission, you know, a successful hunt is an emotional experience, um, for most people, uh, anybody that's a hunter out there knows that, you know, when you invest the time and energy into a hunt and, and you find an animal and you end up taking that animal and harvesting that animal, it's an emotional event. Um, and you feel for it, you're happy that it happened, but it's a combination of uh, a bunch of different emotions. Um, so it's a, it's a very vulnerable experience. And I personally think it's a really good time um, to talk around a campfire after something like that. I think you get honest, true openness from people that are in a comfortable situation and feel good enough to talk about it. All right, we have another question from Rhyme Time UK. He says, has Chris ever seen SEAL Team? There's a unit guy, Tyler Gray, that's on it. Have you seen it, and what do you think? I've never watched it. Um, <laughs> I haven't. For some reason, I, I, I thought that was going to be the answer. Yeah, you know, uh, Tyler, yeah. I mean, uh, I know a lot of guys that know Tyler. He and I don't know each other personally. I think he's a great dude. I like a lot of stuff that he's doing. Um, he chose a path and, and God bless him, man. He's having great success and I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm, I'm proud of him as a brother that he's, that he's doing well and he's representing like that. Uh, I haven't watched the show. I, I'm not real big on a lot of those um, because frankly, because they're usually kind of comical. Uh, I, and I'll ca but I'll caveat that with, and DJ, you know this, you know, I grew up as a kid and, and the Navy SEAL movie in the eighties was the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I still I'm sorry I still why? feel that way I still think that's one of the greatest movies ever made that was that was prime time those actors characters uh, of of anything they did it was I agree it was a good movie and there's a few of them like that out there uh but yeah I I know I don't tend to watch a lot of them um and and frankly sometimes because it's tough for me uh I never read Chris Kyle's book as an example but um, I watched, uh, what was it? Um, American, American Sniper. Sniper. And there's a scene in that movie, uh, and this is years ago, right? There's a scene in that movie where he comes back from an overseas deployment and he is to his family. And instead of going home, he goes to the bar. And like, I did that. Like that happened to me after a rotation and I lost it. Like when I saw that scene, like I, I physically could not control my emotions because I knew exactly what that felt like. So sometimes I think they get it right. Like I, sometimes I think they touch on some things, but for the most part, I think movies are, are exactly what they are. They're Hollywood. They're designed to entertain um, and they have absolutely no bearing on reality. You know, just as an aside, let, let's talk about some of the movies that you thought were great back in the day, uh, because there were some, I, I don't, I don't know that there's been a lot. 
there's been some okay ones made, but there there's not made like the eighties. So let's talk about some of those movies. Let, let's talk about your favorite action movie. Uh, well, in that genre, okay. one of the greatest movies of all time was a movie called The Megaforce. Do you remember that one? I, I do not remember that movie. Look up Megaforce. Okay. Ace, Ace was the main character, and he had a flying motorcycle. <laughs> I have never heard of that movie, and I'm a huge movie guy. I have never heard of that movie. DJ, that's your homework. Find okay. Megaforce. I will. It. I will. So it give is, us the is, give us the basis on that. The basis is it's a it's like Rainbow Six. It's this coalition of bad dudes from all over the world into okay. this like United Nations special forces. Um, and I don't know, they end up fighting some bad guys in the desert, but they have like they have cool <laughs> technology and it's just it's a classic like eighties action. It's just good, man. Like I, I have such fond memories of it as a kid. If it was on tomorrow, I would like I would I would clear my schedule to watch it. Okay. <laughs> now now here's what I say. A lot of people say that and then they watch it and they're like, What the fuck was I thinking watching this? You oh, think that it would terrible. still hold up. Yeah. No, but no, that one, uh no, definitely the Navy SEAL movie. Before that, the um, the Delta Force movie with Lee Mar Marvin and Chuck Norris. Right. Um, I, like, I remember watching that movie, like, with my dad. Um, we were over to Buddy at his house, and, we, and he had, like, he had the whole, like, early 80s, like, basement man cave with the huge entertainment center and the big screen, terrible picture TV and all that. But Is I that the one we that had the projections built yeah, into yeah, it? It was, yeah, like, yeah. three different projections? Yeah. Yeah. And I love going over there because he had a pinball machine. Yeah, I like the cool 80s stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I remember going over there specifically to watch that movie, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, and so, yeah, I laughed about it for years, like, you know, ending up where I ended up. Um, I, you know, part of it, I think, was those two movies. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I love Delta Force. Uh, the missing in actions, they kind of missed the mark a little bit. Uh, I, yeah. I love the first Rambo. And actually, right now, I'm reading uh first blood actual reading the book that it was derived from, and it's completely different than the yep. movie but yeah, i'll give I, you I go ahead i was gonna say yeah i like the rambo movies i definitely did watch those i just think movies in the 80s were better i do too uh, i agree like you say what you like even the the recent the recent um uh tom cruise the the top gun movie maverick right i thought i thought maverick was great because to me, and I said to my wife when we left the theater, I was like, you know, very few movies nowadays do you leave the theater and go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I felt like that after watching that movie. I, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't pick it apart. It's a movie. But I was like, you know what? That was good. It was like a, almost like a throwback to like an 80s movie. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, when they opened it the same way they opened Top Gun, I was like, I'm sold. That this movie could suck for the rest of it, and I'm I'm yeah. sold on it. Uh, yeah. a, a lot of people are saying uh, found uh, that 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 they like Delta Force. Um, one guy said that uh, Missing in Action was weird because all the white guys played Vietnamese characters in it. I don't remember that, but it could be I true. Don't either, but <laughs> it, it could be very well be true. Uh, yeah. so we've got another guy, uh, JP Swanson says, found you through Jesse Betcher's appearance, uh, grew up with him in Wisconsin, enjoyed that chat and this one too. Can you guys talk a little on the government's responsibility to vets? Now, 
This is a dangerous subject with you because I think you have some very controversial statements about it. And I want to preface that by saying that you agree that people should get their pensions, uh, should get their medical things, but that we have almost dug a hole that we're not going to be able to support or survive out of, correct? I firmly believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it unfortunately, when government runs anything, it's not a good idea. Um, and what you have is people trying to make political statements um, by caring uh, because we have so many combat veterans and we have so many, there's so many things going on now that, that we've never been through before. Like we've never been at war for 20 years and, and that's where we are. We've never had soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines retire from the service when their entire careers, they have done one combat rotation after another. Um, and I do think that there is some responsibility, like you said, um, pensions and disability. I think those are important and they need to be taken care of, but I think they need to be measured. Um, I don't think it's a carte blanche thing. I don't think it's uh, everybody that did this deserves that. Um, I think honestly, it's a slap in the face to have real injuries, um, when they allow those things to go on. And it's a tough topic. Uh, nobody wants to say they don't support something, um, but I think it's an unsustainable system that our government will not be able to afford, similar to the Social Security argument um, and, and all those other things that you hear. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that there should be entire organizations and classes dedicated to teaching you how to achieve a higher disability rating. I think it should be about properly annotated medical records. I think they, that's where they should focus is cleaning up medical care while you're in service and the maintaining of those records and the documenting of those things so that just folks get just services uh, when the time comes for them to separate from service. And, and like I said, uh, it, it's a very controversial thing when I, when I, cause I knew your opinion on it. And you get blowback from people that say, well, if they were in the military, they deserve it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and I don't mean to say in the blah, blah, blah sense that I'm overlooking it. But I, I think that what you're trying to say is that it's a system that has gone kind of unchecked for so long that it's going to be hard without scrapping the entire system and starting over to put it ever back in check. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how they're going to. Um, I mean, I guess the upside of the equation is, is where it looks as though we're going back to a peacetime army type of transition, for lack of a better term, where, you know, we're going to pull back and lick our wounds as a country for a while. And hopefully the politicians in power um, will keep us from going to war for a while. Um, but yeah, you never know when it's going to come. But I personally feel like we're headed into, um, you know, <laughs> a recession on the uh, on the overseas front for a while. Not only a recession, but I think that we have, and I think you would agree with this, we have so many hotspots that could turn into full-blown wars now. And we showed it with Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, there's so many places around the world that could turn into those full-blown uh, the next 20 years. You and I have talked about, and I want to ask you about it, you believe that combat has changed at kind of a cellular level, right? I do. 
So with so many of those hotspots, I mean, just without even thinking, you have North Korea, you have Ukraine, you have Russia, you have Eastern blocs, you have Iran. There's so many different things that are going on. How do we... How do we tell the people that are controlling that? Because if we're going to be honest, Congress controls that. The government controls where we go to war, not the soldiers themselves. They go to fight them. How do we teach people that have never done that, never picked up a weapon, never stood a post, never did anything like that, that everything is not us getting involved in it? Good question. Um, my... Man, I'm a term limits guy. Um, I think a true people who are spo- people who have spoken environment um, is only achievable in a democracy with term limits. Um, I, I will never get there, unfortunately. So it's going to take something else. Um, but being stewards of America's servicemen and women is one of the most critical things in the world. Um, I don't know the answer to to that. I don't know how you get them there. I will say. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was a smart man. Um, and and one of my favorite quotes of his is walk softly and carry a big stick. Uh, and I think, you know, that's been America's mantra for a long time. It got us to where we are and, and made us the greatest nation in the world. Um, you don't have to be a bully. You don't have to push everybody around. Uh, but you also don't have to get involved in everything. But you need to possess the power, the warfighting capability, and the resolve. Um, and you need to demonstrate that globally um, because that's what keeps people from doing the saber rattling and doing the things that can put us into situations where something can escalate in, into something that we can't stop. Um, and I don't think people realize, I think, I think there needs to be a conscious balanced effort um, with the media and those things so people understand how dangerously close we are to sliding into a position where we're forced back to war with um, with potentially another superpower or in a situation like we've never seen before. Um, I've said this before, like, I don't think the average American person has any idea what it would be like if we went to war with another first world nation with immense military capability like the Soviet Union or China. Now, I have no doubt we would kick their ass, um, and I will always believe that, but we will sustain more casualties and there will be more unnecessary loss than we've ever seen in warfare. Um, and anybody that, that doesn't believe that is a fool. Um, so we need history back in the classrooms. We need government back in the classrooms. Um, we need people understanding what their votes do and who they vote for and how that process works. Um, I think it starts back at the earlier levels. Uh, we, we tend now to sugarcoat things. And I, <laughs> jokingly, my wife and I are watching the, the what is it? The Harry and Meghan thing. And I'm like, man. Like, I cannot believe a- you just admitted that. I did. I did. <laughs> she said she was going to watch it. And I was like, I'm not watching that crap. And you know what I did? I got sucked in and I watched yep. all of it. Yep. And, and that it's funny, you watch as an American, you watch it and you go in the beginning, you're like, my God, the British pet press and tabloids, like it's, I don't even know how this happens and they're explaining it all. And then a couple episodes in, you're like, shit, wait, we just watched this happen here. We watched it 
in the lead up to the Trump presidency. We watched it during his entire presidency on an unprecedented scale, unprecedented scale. Like it's scary, man. Like the, 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 the narrative control that is possible now um, is really scary because if you say it enough, people believe it uh, and they know if they just keep putting it out there. So yeah, I think, it, I think really, I guess to circle back to your question, I think it's, I think it is education. I'm just not sure how we get there. I wish I had that answer. So JP has another question. He says, how do we now get Gen Z? Is that the 18 and under term? He's not sure to now serve proudly and with the right mindset. Uh, go back to be all you can be and cool commercials. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, no. Um, I, you know what? I think there's a, I think there is a percentage of every generation, regardless of what we think and what we say. I think there's a percentage of every generation that will step up in America's time of need. I think you're always going to have men and women that want to go serve their country. At least I hope because a country where that doesn't exist, I don't want to be in anymore. Um, yeah, I, I stop lowering standards. <laughs> uh, I think physical education needs to be stressed and a part of life much more than it is now at an earlier age. Um, I think we need to stop softening athletics. Uh, I think all of those things, you know, we have, there's been a, with technology, you get a gradual softening of society, which causes an immense amount of problems. Um, I think the military has to stay the course. I think they know that they need to produce hard men and women for hard men and women situations. Um, but yeah, you're always going to have people that are going to step up. I think recruiting commands, I think will morph and make adjustments. You know, there's a lot more tech-based jobs. So I think they're going to go back to focusing on training um, and schooling that you receive. And then I think there's a lot of guys like us, DJ, that are veterans and go, you know what? Um, nothing bad comes from serving in a branch of service in the United States or, or military. Like you're, you're going to grow up as a human being. Absolutely. You're going to have a roof over your head. You're going to have some good leaders and some bad ones. You're going to learn some great life lessons. You're going to understand what service means. Um, it just makes you appreciate the country that you live in even more. Um, and it builds good people and good leaders that can be effective in other, other careers. So, you know, I, I I'm hoping that, that we kind of carry the mail on that, um, as it gets harder and guys start stepping up and helping that effort out. Well, and with, with everything that's going on, I think the only one we've talked before, the only one that met their recruiting criteria was like the Marine Corps. And that's a smaller base number anyway. Um, I do want to point out, you brought up Harry and Megan. Uh, there is a guy from England listening right now or watching. He said, I'm British and we can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as an American, so as an American, um, we don't even understand any of that. Right. Like no. I've spent some time in the UK. Like I'm, I'm probably, I think I'm at least a little savvy on how it all works, but like the monarchy to us is a bizarre thing anyway. Uh, so I, for me, it wasn't necessarily about the Royals. It was more about the media frenzy, how it fed into that. And then 
the protect the monarchy narrative um, that kind of forced all of those actions. I, I didn't even really pay attention to who are Harry and Meghan as people. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, she was great on suits. Um, so, you know, that's all I can say about her really is that she was a pretty good actress. I do want to talk to you about a couple things. I saw recently that you posted a couple things. Now I, I'm going to break a promise to you that I made. You posted a couple things about Saddam Hussein and the capture of him. Um, mm -hmm. Can we talk about it a little bit? I know I told you I would never ask you about it because you've told the story a hundred times, but I, I just want to kind of, because there was a lot of people posting like comments and stuff like, I thought it was these guys that got him. I thought it was this that did that. Can we kind of just go over it a little bit? I don't want to go in depth in the story, but I definitely want to kind of touch on it. Okay. What do you want to know? <laughs> Take that. <laughs> well, what what I would like to know is uh, it says, yes, I was going to ask, but didn't want to. <laughs> Someone uh, posted that comment. So I, I guess my question would be, why so much of the secrecy around it? Because there was so many people that commented on the post like that said, uh, I thought fourth well, ID it, got him and stuff like that. Can we talk uh, about that? It's simple. It's 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 simple, and people, the internet reads way too much into it. And it was it was 19 years ago, man. Um, there's nothing nothing classified about any of that stuff. The the reason for not the lack of public acknowledgement of both the Delta Force and SEAL Team Six had has or did and always had to do with the Freedom of Information Act. If the government didn't publicly acknowledge those organizations, they weren't susceptible to Freedom of Information Act and didn't have to provide information on either of those organizations. Those rules, to my understanding, have changed. Um, they changed post, uh, and, and they'll never tell you this is why, but you know, President Obama came out on national TV after Osama bin Laden was killed and said SEAL Team 6 was responsible. The president, commander-in-chief, publicly acknowledged a classified organization that had never been publicly acknowledged for a very particular set of reasons, whether that was intentional or whether that was an accident, that was a paradigm shift. Um, so yeah, all these years later, the reason that that wasn't said was because nothing was ever said. No mission that was accomplished or executed was ever publicly admitted by the administration or the federal government or the department of defense for that very particular set of reasons. And it was to protect the organization organizations and it was to protect um intelligence and, and and u.s national interests so okay so to that question and and we can get away from the saddam thing because i think this is going to lead down another road so <laughs> why the shift then because they talk about that stuff all the time now they still talk about it in hushed tones but they talk about it all the time so where's the shift come from yeah good question uh, you know i'm not I'm not privy to those policy discussions or, or, or really know why. And I've never really asked. Um, frankly, I think those of us that are out here, retired guys, we take a very measured approach when we discuss things. Um, I think if there's one thing that's ingrained all of us, in all of us is you don't discuss tactics, techniques, and procedures. You don't want to give up something that potentially is going to educate, you know, a current or a future enemy. Um, because we've all had to live through that in the last 20 years where, 
you know, they figure out what we're doing and they get smarter just like we do. So I think we're all very good stewards of that. Um, yeah, Saddam was caught by the Delta Force, plain and simple. Um, Fourth ID was given public credit because it was a conventional unit and that was the easy thing to say. And they were there. They were there and they were there the next day and they were on that target. And um, but yeah, Saddam was caught by the same unit that started the invasion. All right. Let's talk about some other stuff in your military career, because I promised I wouldn't talk about Saddam, but I saw so many posts that I just had to ask the question because I noticed that yeah, was we, like, you know, we all and if, if I'm honest, um, I do that 100 percent for my brothers. Like, that's it. Like, right. And I get it, it. But what was interesting to me was and I, I understood why you were doing it. Yeah. What was interesting to me was, though, that how many people weren't just like, oh, cool, that's a cool pick or blah, blah, blah. It was, hey, I thought these guys grabbed him. And I, and there was a ton of comments. I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, yeah. just enjoy the post, put your like on it, and let's move forward. Yep. And, and that's what stood out to me was I don't think people, and I think this is a problem. I don't think people are interested in learning history. I think people are interested in learning what's eye-catching in front of them. Yeah. Well, and the, the internet's the internet, man. It's like, I, I, I don't, I don't entertain trolls. It doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I'll get some ridiculous comment and I literally swipe left and delete it immediately. I don't ever engage. Um, that's just not, I like to put good out in the world. And if you're not putting good back towards me, I don't need you in my life. So I just delete it. But you know, the one negative that people do with stuff like that is they're like, we shouldn't, they want to, they want to, politicize it they want to go we shouldn't have done that because we destabilized this we destabilized that and i'm always like you understand that the guy was a ruthless dictator <laughs> and that i and that committed genocide in his own country and used chemical weapons on his own people and regardless of all those reasons all i'm doing is celebrating the fact that me and a bunch of my boys did what we were tasked to do that's it and I hope, I hope and pray that we always have people that are willing to go get the job done and do what they're asked to do. Um, because imagine the world we would live in if everybody in the entire United States questioned everything they were ever asked to do. Uh, frankly, we need people that are willing to go get the job done. Whether you agree with it or not, we need people to execute those tasks. And, and that's what I celebrate every year that's what all of us toast each other to um and there were a bunch of people involved in that and that's why we say fourth id and we you know what i mean we we we, we know that it takes a group effort to get something done and, and that's what we toast absolutely so we got a comment uh said thanks for answering asking answering and reading the questions and comments it's really cool chris you're the man you too dj so it, it he put me just at the back of it like yeah you too thanks a lot <laughs> All right, so we got another question that came up. Did Chris serve with Kevin Holland? Yeah. Oh, there, you froze up for a second. Yep, I got Can you, you now. Me? Go ahead. Can you hear me? All right. I'm going to drop you out and come back in. Just stay around, guys. We're going to bring him right back in. Stand by. All right. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, you got me. Okay. Yeah. So we had a question. Did you did Chris serve with Kevin Holland? Yes, I did. Um Kevin's a Kevin's a friend. Uh Kevin's a rock star. Uh one of my favorite people. Uh and he's the ultimate redneck. <laughs> do you want to elaborate on that or do you just wanna no, no. I mean, Kevin's Kevin's hilarious, man. Like, uh, obviously, he was the first guy to ever serve in both um, the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Army's Tier One organizations. Um, I'm not going to tell Kevin's story, uh, but um, how Kevin ended up coming back into the service and and becoming a part of the unit is a pretty awesome one. Um, I heard. I haven't listened to it yet. I heard he just recently did a podcast where he talks about the Saddam mission. Uh, the, the one caveat I'll get, and, and I don't even know if Kevin says this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that where the term spider hole came from and all the news coverage was because when Kevin was filming the hole that Saddam came out of with a handicam, um, and it's his boots that are in that original video that was released. He says in the video, he calls it a spider hole. And that ended up getting passed on and then it became the thing. Like, and everybody was like, what the hell is a spider hole? <laughs> but I that, like it. I thought that was a real point. term. Now that I know, I thought that was a real term. Yeah, no, Kevin is, Kevin is, is a rock solid dude, a rock star. He was a, he was a tremendous operator um, and a great dude to work alongside. Uh, and, and somebody that I was proud to have served with. All right. We have another one. Did Chris see the famous golden toilet, or can he say? I never saw any golden toilet. Um, I will tell you that every time we hit a palace or something in the early invasion, and we would go in and they would be, you know, on the surface, you'd look at them and they'd be all this exquisite gold trim stuff. Uh, and then we realized after sleeping in a few of them that it was all superficial, that it was like, gold flake over cheap wood or it was <laughs> they use a lot of marble but it was honestly it was it was actually pretty cheap shit because uh, most of the good stuff had been looted by the time we hit most of those so um, no I never saw the famed golden toilet well you know with the golden flake there's nothing more that I hate than a fucking dictator who doesn't put real gold in his shit so uh you know, all right, here we go. We got another one. Uh, it said, didn't know you were taking question. Mine is Chris military service often defines a person since you got out. What defines you now? Ooh, good question. Um, veteran advocate. Okay. That's what I would say. Um, I think, uh, I think, me opening up about struggles and sharing my story um, was a very challenging thing, but it ended up being something that helped me in my process. Um, and I was terrified that I was going to be judged by my peers um, for talking publicly and sharing some of those things. Uh, and what I saw was was what I should have expected, which is it's a fucking amazing community and, and guys were totally supportive um, and got behind it and and guys are doing their own thing. And I think the post service community that I came from um, is getting a hell of a lot better at taking care of its own and looking after each other. Um, so I would say being a veteran, veteran advocate is the thing that I'm most proud of post service. Uh, if that answers your question. 
I think so, and I think that 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 never ends. That veteran advocate never that mission will never go away. There will always be veterans. There will always be people struggling with stuff, whether that be law enforcement, first responders, military, whatever it may be. There's always going to be someone struggling, and always someone that you can reach out to. So I, what I like about that mission is it's a mission that never ends. So you never lose. If you lose everything else, you never lose the purpose and driving of that. Yeah. You, and you know, you've heard me say, it's funny. Cops are my favorite people to speak to by far law enforcement because law enforcement cops love to do. And I know, you know, this, they love to do the, well, my stuff's nothing like what, what you went through. And, and I love going bullshit. Trauma's trauma. Like the stuff you see day in and day out, I promise you is probably 10 times worse than all the things that I've experienced. And, and that is rewarding because the, the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, and then they relax and they get comfortable and, and that's how people get better. So, yeah, I, I love that. And it is it is a lifelong thing. Um, and I think we can all help each other and work together at it. All right. We got another one from Cass Lane. It says, hey, Chris, did you ever work with the Aussies on deployment? How were they to work with? Uh, the Aussies, me personally, no. Um, my, when I got to Afghanistan, my troop had just done a mission. Uh, maybe that was the Kiwis. Um, the only Aussies that I ever worked with while I was in the service, uh, were guys that filled L and O positions and came over and were working inside our building, um, alongside us. Um, I have worked with the Brits quite a bit, uh, you know, spent some time over there. Um, work with their guys on our end, done some joint stuff, even did some stuff in Africa with the Brits. Um, uh, the Kiwis, uh, a little bit of interaction. Um, but then post-service, I've gotten to know a lot of those guys. Um, when, in my time with Tier, I spent a lot of time in Australia and New Zealand um, and, and really got to know a lot of those guys that were right next to me. Many of occasions overseas, we just didn't know each other till post-career. All right. I want to ask a question that I've never asked you in all the times we've talked. What's your favorite story from your career? Whether that be funny, sad, whatever it is, uh, what is your favorite story that you have never told me personally? Um, uh, people don't find it as funny as me, but one of my favorites, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this. <laughs> People don't find uh, it as funny as me. No, no. Um, did I ever tell you the story or have you ever heard me tell the story of the M8 chemical alarm that went off during the invasion? Uh-uh. Uh, so I, I'm one of those guys that finds humor in combat, right? Like even in a gunfight, I would find something to laugh about. I think it's one of my coping mechanisms or always has been. Um, and this one wasn't funny at the time. It was funny after. <laughs> But so, so during the invasion, uh, do you want me to tell it? Is that what you're asking, DJ? Yeah, tell it. Yeah. So during the invasion, uh, we were we were on a six wheeled, you know, light skinned vehicle driving across the desert from you know Saudi Arabia all the way to Tikrit, where we ended up, and we were hitting targets along the way. And um, but our mission, so to speak in the early stages of the invasion was to hit these ammo supply points. And we were looking for, you know, WMD, we were looking for chem bio stuff basically in the Western desert. 
because Intel had said that, you know, he wasn't going to keep it in Baghdad. He was going to store it someplace out away so that hopefully it didn't get hit um, if we were ever invade the country again. And so we had done a lot of workup um, before the invasion started. Um, at one point, we were going to hit a, a, a plant that we believe they were manufacturing some things. Um, you know, whatever the media says and whatever people say, I can tell you we as America's tier one asset really believed that we were going to run across stuff. Um, so it was a concern. So on the vehicle, we all had, we didn't wear them like the other people during the invasion of both Gulf Wars. Uh, but I had a, a seal line, you know, a waterproof bag that hung off the vehicle that had my, my chem suit in it and my, my pee mask and, and all that stuff kind of right next to me. And I was driving. And so we had pulled up one night and we had a, a flare ball so we could see for miles. It was the, we were the, we were the first ground-based vehicles to utilize, um, flare, uh, balls and had that kind of range. I, I think, um, is that, are you talking about kind of the balls that were on top of the Kiowa helicopters? Like, yeah. The, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Or, or on ships or on the bottom of what later, you know, predator drones and things like that. We had, we had a great big flare ball on a telescopic arm so we could see forever. We had great visibility. We had a little LCD screen, um, between the driver and TC of the vehicle. Um, so we would end up pulling, we'd pull up short. We'd look at all of, you know, whether it was a anti-aircraft defense site or an artillery site or something like that outside of these air, uh, ammo supply points. And we would call close air support. We would call CAS and drop a bunch of bombs on them. And then we would roll through the target, deal with whatever was left SSE and then move on. Um, so we, you know, we had overmatch, we had the ability to do that. So one night we had pulled up and we're dropping bombs on this, on this air defense site, all these air defense pieces in, in trench line you know, bomb after bomb after bomb and all these secondaries start going off. And it's, you know, the ammunition and everything else that they have in support of this, this ADA site. And it's, you know, it's cooking, everything's cooking off and there's secondary explosions and the wind is blowing in our face. Um, and so after a while, you start to smell that explosive residue and that stuff burning. And everybody knows that smell if you've ever been around it. Well, we had an M8 chemical alarm that we mounted on the front of the vehicle. Um, for anybody that knows what those are, it's about the size of a, you know, army man pack radio. Um, and then you run a wire from that to a independent or remote alarm. And that remote alarm has an audible like speaker that'll chirp. If you turn it on, it also has a visual one. So it has a little light bulb. And so we mounted that little alarm, like on the dash, if you will, I have no windshield, it's an open vehicle. So I'm sitting here with the steering wheel. And I have this little alarm thing mounted in front of me and I had taped over the little red light so that only a little tiny bit was showing. So really the only person in the vehicle that could see that light, if it went off was me because we're driving under night vision and everything else, you know, totally blacked out was well, this smoke cloud hits us. It's blowing through and I see this little red light flash in my eye and it just blinks once. And I'm like, you know, is my mind playing tricks on me or did that light just blink? So now I'm staring at it blanks again. Now, anybody that's ever done training with that stuff knows that it will continuously blink or it'll come on and stay on. I don't remember which, but a single blink and then going out isn't what it's supposed to do. And it's so still about concerning. Can we agree that it's still a little concerning? Yeah. So all this smoke's blowing in our face 
and you know chili who you know dj chili is is in the in the commander seat you know the tc seat and he's working the FLIR ball so he's looking at this lcd screen which is kind of bright so he can't really see anything but he's really paying attention to that he's listening to the radio he's listening to us talk to the aircraft and drop bombs and i say to chili did you see that and he goes see what and i go the m8 alarm light just blinked well we're all breathing in all of this explosive residue that's cooking off and all these explosions is burning off this air defense site that's about i don't know 1500 2000 meters away or something like that and he's like what and i said yeah the m8 alarm went off and he goes what do you mean the m8 alarm went off and i can hear it in his voice because he feels like i do like holy shit what if we just hit some chemical weapons and now that cloud of chemical gas is getting to our location and he's like what do you mean the m8 alarm went off and i'm like I, it just blinked man i don't know why it blinked and about the time that we're having this conversation mike who's on the top gun behind us goes what are you guys talking about and chili goes chris, chris goes chris said the m8 alarm went off and mike goes what and it's this same conversation and now so now brad who you know i think brad is on the atv and he's pulled right up next to me and brad gets in and he's like what do you mean the m8 alarm went off well anyway this like circular conversation of us all kind of freaking out because we're probably being exposed to chemical agent right now and all of the training we had and big badass commandos chemical suit protective mask not once did any guy go maybe we should put our masks on <laughs> <laughs> because the thought of wearing your protective gear was worse than dying of chemical agent exposure. <laughs> <laughs> so, at some point in this circular conversation of what do you mean it's going off? Chili goes, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like if this cloud that we're all breathing in is something harmful or some chemical agent, wouldn't we be doing the kicking chicken right now? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say cooler heads will prevail there. But I got to tell you, the once the light went off, I would be a little concerned. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it just it always made me laugh because we it's here's the, you know, four or five of the highly most highly trained dudes in the army. And and <laughs> we we take no corrective action to the fact that the thing that we set up went off uh is is kind of a funny thing to me. almost so, yeah, mad at it like you son of a bitch yeah i mean there's right. tons of there's tons of great there's tons of good like commando stuff but the stuff that makes you laugh is are the absolutely ones really i i think those are the best stories all right so we have another question for you it says uh chris do you have any tips for a future lieutenant who will be going to the infantry when he graduates from rotc this spring it's for my son also Thanks for being real. Listen to your non-commissioned officers. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that they tell you what to do, future sir. Um, it means that you probably have some seasoned veterans, particularly at this time in life. That platoon sergeant has probably been at war his entire career, um, and he's a wealth of knowledge. And don't forget that. Very good answer. Very succinct and uh, great answer. All right. Other question. Do you have a process after hearing news of a colleague who took his or her own life? What is your process and what advice do you give to others? Wow. 
Um, I don't have a process. Um, I'll tell you what happens in, in my community is generally it's a grapevine activity. So um, someone hears, they pass it to the next guy, they pass it to the next guy, they pass it to the next guy. Um, so inevitably what ends up happening is you hear over the course of a couple of days from a bunch of different people that so-and-so has taken their own life. Um, I don't have a process. I tell you, it makes me very aware of my brothers and sisters that have been there. Um, and it makes me pay more attention to them. Um, and it's a definite reminder that I need to do a better job of staying in touch with people. Very good answer. Um, and you and I have talked about that before that, uh, you know, a lot of guys always say, well, let's meet up when there's not a funeral. Let's meet up when there's not this and not that. And, and, and it gets for whatever reason put to the wayside. And I think just as humans, we're very, uh, we're very faulty about that kind of stuff. We're, we're, I don't know if you'd call it short-term thinking, but we talk about, well, we should do this, but then, you know, sometimes it comes to fruition. Sometimes it doesn't. And, um, it's a, it's a crazy thing. Cause you just hear, you know, like you said, through the grapevine. And when you hear something like that, how do you even process it? If you haven't talked to them, like what were they going through? And then the whole guilt thing sets in that you didn't know what they were talking about. So, um, I, 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 I can't imagine. I've told you this a ton of times when we're talking to each other, it's always, uh, interesting to me. It's always at top of mind awareness about this is that these giants that have been all over the world, uh, and done the things that they did, that this is what takes them down finally. Yeah. You know, it, I tell you what, DJ, I, I've thought a lot about that and the strength that it takes to live those lives is the same strength that they use to keep all that stuff bottled up. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes because they're so strong at bottling all that stuff up, it gets to a point where the pressure's too much and it breaks. Absolutely. Um, so the same things that made you one of the most capable people on the planet are also one of the things that makes you one of the most susceptible people on the planet to end up like that. Um, and it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, man. I think that a lot of people don't think about it also uh, to, just to add on to that. I think a lot of people don't think about it until that time is there. And the only way I can compare it is like when you talk about someone that hasn't lost a parent or hasn't lost a, a loved one or anything like that, you don't think about it until it happens. And then you're like, Oh wow, I, I could lose that person. I could never potentially talk to them again. Yeah. All yeah, right. For sure. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, another question says you mentioned top gun earlier. Have you seen the movie top gun? I don't know who hasn't seen the movie top gun, but have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, your thoughts and also what is your favorite movie of all time, any category and why is it your favorite? Oh, that's hard. Uh, I can't tell you if, uh, obviously, yes, I've seen Top Gun. I love the original and I like the latest release. Um, I, I don't, whatever you can say, whatever you want about Tom Cruise. He does a great job with those. He's movies. a fucking vampire. That's what I'm going to say about him. He's a fucking vampire. 
Have you seen the side by side where they yeah, do? They him look and Jeremy identical. Hart? Yes. <laughs> he is a fucking vampire. There's got to be something to this Scientology thing. There's got to be. If only, if only we could all age that well. Uh, my favorite. <laughs> do you think? Let me ask you a question real quick before you answer this. Do you think if he slipped? when he was climbing a mountain that he would get a huge hematoma on his hip right now? Or do you think that he would just like get up and float away or fly away or something like that? I think he's already full of embalming fluid. It's like skeletal. That's nothing. No, okay. I don't think it would bother him at all. Okay. All right. So favorite movie of all time. Let me, let me get the question out to you. All right. Uh, favorite movie of all time, any category. And why is it your favorite? Uh, yeah, I, I can't, it's too hard to do of all time. I will tell you one of my favorite movies, uh, is the movie point break. Uh, okay. That's a I, very solid choice. Yeah. It had a good depth of characters. Um, you, I like that you get both sides. You get the good guy and the bad guy. Um, and, and there's a and little blur in there. Yeah. And you understand why each does its thing. Um, I think it's the best movie that both Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves were ever in. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it's a solid, solid movie from start to finish. And it's one of those ones, like my wife and I always have this saying, it's like, I always say, it's one of those movies where if you're flipping through the channel on a Sunday afternoon and no matter what part of the movie it's on, you will stop and watch the rest of it. Like that's, and, and I don't have too many of those. Um, um, most of them are classics, you know, like Westerns or some Clint Eastwood movies or stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to really think to break it down by genre to give you a favorite in each category. And I don't know what that is right now. It's too hard. All right. I have a couple comments to that. Are you, first off, are you saying that that's the best movie that they're both in at the same time? Or that's the both that movie independently is the best movie they've been in. I think that movie is one of the best okay. performances for each of them. Okay, I disagree with you, and that answer is garbage. Uh, Roadhouse <laughs> is the best movie that Patrick Swayze was in. No, it would be. It would be, but Sam Elliott steals Roadhouse 100%. It, yeah, it, that but, would be. but overall, that's the best movie that he's been in. I, not, I, I don't think so. I think he got overshadowed in Roadhouse. I, okay. I think that takes away from it. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know that I agree with you. And I don't know but if I we can love be... that movie. Roadhouse is another one that I will leave on and keep watching. If I'm flipping through the channels and it's on also going to make a controversial statement here. Uh, a lot of the movies that people say, Oh, if it's on and I'm flipping through, I'll watch it all the time. I'm going to say one that I hate and is not a good movie. And that's Shawshank Redemption. I won't watch Shawshank Redemption. Me neither. I don't get the deal about it. Who gives a shit? I mean, it was a good movie, but no. I, I've seen it. Yeah. Well, no. Also, uh, I got to disagree with Keanu Reeves' best movie that he was in because John Wick, by far, is his best movie that he ever did. I like his character in John Wick better, only because I probably identify with John Wick more than I did with Johnny Utah. But, <laughs> and by that, I don't mean that he was a badass. Wow, this is huge news. 
I don't mean it because John Wick's a badass. I don't think of myself as a badass. I'm talking about John Wick's disdain for humanity is probably where I most identify. Okay. I can I can go with that. I at first thought you were saying John Wick, and I was like, man, that's awesome that you're saying that. No, and no, definitely it, not. All right. So um, let's talk about uh, a couple of other things before we get out of here. Um, I want to talk about some stuff that you're doing with All Secure. Yeah, so been involved with All Secure for coming up on two years now. Tom and Jen Satterley um, started that. Um, All Secure's focus really um, is on the family unit, for lack of a better term. So All Secure focuses on not just veterans that are working through recovery from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, um, or other forms of other, other mental health issues, but they also focus on secondary post-traumatic stress that's experienced by family members, spouses, loved ones. Um, so they offer retreats uh, for couples um, and they offer couples and individual counseling. Um, and they just got some phenomenal people working for the organization that truly understand the community, understand the things that that we and people like us have been through. Um, so it makes for a very comfortable environment. It's easy to open up in, um, really healthy and, and really helps in recovery um, as a testimonial. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not kidding. Um, you know, my wife and I are great. Um, and we live a great life and we're very fortunate. Um, and we talk personally with one of all secures, um, therapists about every two weeks, um, because it's healthy and it's good and we enjoy it. And she's a wonderful human being. Um, and she makes us a better couple and we appreciate that. So they're doing great things. Um, if you're looking for a charity to support and somebody that does something a little different, all secure is a great one. Um, I'll always tout, you know, warrior's heart, Tom Spooner's organization down in Texas, um, Warriors Heart Foundation helps people that, that don't have the resources necessarily to get into it. Um, but great, great substance abuse recovery program um, that focuses on what we were talking about earlier, DJ, which is, um, you know, finding a hobby, finding something that you're passionate about that isn't what you do for a living um, and, and using that as a creative space to kind of open up your mind and let some of those things go. And then and then sort of post treatment recovery progression and, and continued therapy to, to get back on track. So that would be the two that I would say, um, yeah, if you're looking, they're both fantastic organizations. Uh, I want to point out that, that the counselor does a great job with you and your wife because you've told me that actually that she's scared of heights and you get her to climb mountains with you all the time. Is that correct? My wife? Yeah. Oh, my wife goes everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she's yeah, scared of heights, lucky. right? She's scared of heights. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she, uh, yeah, we, we hike and climb all over the world. We're actually headed to Africa in February. Um, going to climb Kilimanjaro. Uh, I think I told you at some point, like my goal is to, to do the seven summits. Um, we were supposed to do Mount Elbrus in Russia a couple years ago, but COVID happened and then Russia invaded Ukraine. So probably not a good time as an American to go to mm. Russia. <laughs> so probably at any not. rate, we're, we're going to go down to Tanzania and do Kilimanjaro, um, which is a, a non-technical mountain, but a, but a beast in its own right and, and pretty high elevation. So we'll go do that one in February and, and hopefully raise some money for all secure. I got to tell you, uh, I have an Oculus VR and I've been climbing on uh, a climb game on there and it scares the shit out of me and I'm just in my <laughs> living room. So I'm not even going to touch that. So other than that, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I know we talked about all secure. We talked about you going to Kilimanjaro, possibly raising funds. 
other than that, though, how can people get a hold of All Secure? How can they donate or figure it out or Warriors Heart? How do they get a hold of them? Yeah, website. Um, so All Secure Foundation. Oh, geez. I want to get the last three correct. Dot org. So All Secure Foundation, no spaces, dot org, O-R-G. Uh, yeah, website, um, plenty of information on there, or they can message me, um, if they're looking for, to, for some assistance or to get there that by all means, um, message me and I'll get you connected. Uh, likewise, anything, you know, mental health related assistance related. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a trained professional. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a therapist. Um, but what I, what I am fortunate enough to be is is someone that knows a lot of people and is connected to a lot of resources so i will do my best to connect you with something that uh can help you out all right where can people find you uh instagram is really the only thing that i'm open on i'm on linkedin as well but c van sant 123 um is my handle on insta uh i respond to as many people as i can uh i i ebb and flow with my interaction with instagram um, but yeah, if you send me, send me a note or a message, I will, I will always attempt to answer you. I like when, when I send you a text and you send me back, thought I answered this like three days ago, but I guess I didn't. <laughs> well, you like, know, Tom, oh, oh it's a Tom little Saturday, surprise. Tom started all secure and we worked together for years and, you know, Tom wrote a book by the same name, all secure It's a fantastic book and his wife, fantastic Jen, book fantastic as well. Um, but yeah, Tom and I laugh because like we can't communicate because we don't remember if we sent a text or we didn't send a text or so we just sort of laugh about it and go, all right, well, we'll move on to the next thing. Well, I sent you one the other day and then I heard back like two days later and you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I answered this. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're good on this. And I was like, Oh, great. Well, it's a little surprise today. All right. We're good. You know what I mean? I, mean, I know I'm not, I'm not the only one that does it. You, you open it up and you read mm -hmm. it. And you mentally make a note. You go, oh, yeah, cool, DJ. Yep, I can definitely do that. And then something happens, and you set your phone down, or you go on to the yep. next thing, and your brain is like, oh, yeah, I already answered that in my mind. That's what happens. Yeah, it's uh, it, uh, it happens to me. So I, I don't even you, – you'll notice we just sit there for days apart, and then the conversation will kick back up. I'm like, okay, I guess we're talking now again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, uh, no, look, other – looking forward to the holidays and then and then uh yeah once we're all back looking forward to shot show in january um it's always a good time it's always good to see a lot of people uh and i will say you know uh, social media is wild man i think people focus on on the negative instead of the positive it's a great place to keep in touch with people uh and and don't be afraid like um i actually don't mind at all when people come up and say hey I, you know i saw you on this or i saw you on that uh, it's always good to hear that. Um, and it's reinforcing that what you're doing is a positive thing and it's having an impact on people. So thank you to the people that do come up and say stuff, um, when they run into you, I appreciate that. Uh, and I just wanted to say that because shot's just one of those places where it will happen. Um, and I don't want people to be worried about it. Like I'm just a normal dude like you. Uh, and I definitely appreciate when people say, Hey, thanks for what you said. I think you said you told me that you really like people interrupting you when you're eating. That's that was your no, favorite. No. That, uh, either <laughs> <laughs> why you were going to the bathroom or eating were your favorite two times to be interrupted. Yeah, yeah. 
exactly. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. So let's talk one more time where people can find you. C Van Zant one two three on Instagram. They can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, any if they have yeah. questions and stuff. This is the big thing with me. If they have questions about PTS, if they have something. Is there uh, is there a way to contact All Secure uh, anything like that where they can drop like a little note? I don't know if there is, and I've never really yeah, seen that. Or, but is there a way they can do that? Yeah, on their webpage, they have they have uh, email contact, message contact, and a phone number. Um, if there's anything that you need, um, and they are great about getting back to folks. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a small team. Um, but that's how much they care. They literally answer folks individually. So by all means, fire that away. Um, ask the questions, get help if you need it. Uh, and if you just need somebody to talk to, reach out to a brother. We're all, we're all here. And, and I'll point out, Tom is a fantastic guy. So is his wife, Jen, uh, fantastic lady. And they really are concerned. I, I, you know, you and I have talked about it before about Tom and Jen. I think Tom really, he was kind of the, one of the first ones to, to, to get out there in front of people. And I think that that's his whole life's mission now is to make sure everyone's okay because of where he came from. Tom was a leader of mine. He was a, he was a instructor of mine. Um, and we have time in combat together and, uh, yeah, he, he led by example in, in these endeavors. He's one of the reasons why I became more comfortable talking about it. And absolutely um, one of the reasons why I support what they're doing and, and, and will always. Well, I think this has been a fantastic chat tonight. Guys, uh, go look this guy up. Look at him on Instagram. He does some great posts. If you need him on LinkedIn, he's there. Uh, LinkedIn is kind of a grown-ups Facebook, so if you want to go there and find him on there. If you want more of me, you know where you can always find me. You can find me on Instagram at the DTD underscore podcast. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD podcast, and you can find me on YouTube where all these conversations are in video form at the DTD podcast. But guys, your one-stop shop, and if you want to look further into these guests, it's dtdpodcast.net. You go there, each guest has his own page. They have their own pictures, their bio, their links. Anything that you want to know about them is there. So make sure you stop by dtdpodcast.net. Check us out. Tell all your friends. Make sure you share, like, subscribe, all those things that you're supposed to do. Get out there. Get the news out there because that helps us get more of these stories out there. Also, don't forget, stop by our sponsor, Police Coffee, at policecoffee.com. They're an officer-owned business, and they're dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends, and they're shipped as soon as they're made to provide the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. Their specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. And their coffee is some of the best that you'll find out there. But it also serves an important cause, and this is the one that we talk about every week. They give back to our community. 50% of their profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. So make sure you go to policecoffee.com. Also, another thing that I'd like to point out. It's pumpkin spice season. It's peppermint mocha season. And all those flavors are at Police Coffee. So go there, policecoffee.com. Put in DJK10. You get 10% off your order. Let them know that you were watching us and you got the idea there. Guys, that's going to be the show for this week. Thank you so much to my guests. That's Chris. I'm DJ. This has been the show. We'll catch you guys on the next one. We'll see you later. <laughs>